0: It's the Allison, it's the Allison, it's the Allison, it's the Allison, Allison, it's the Allison, it's the Allison,
1: it's the Allison. Allison. Welcome to the Allison Show. I'm Allison.
0: And boom, baby. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, lover, there's so much power in learning to see ourselves Clearly. So, on this podcast, let's try. We're going to laugh together, possibly cry together, and we'll talk about why it's hard to feel our inherent wholeness, why it can be hard to feel awesome, and what to do about it. And good news we're going to be aggressively compassionate to ourselves and others as we do it. Let's go, yo. This is episode 183. I'm here, I did that out of order, but I'm here with the lovely, the talented, the sexy, the beautiful, my husband and yours, Mr. Eric Robertson.
1: Good morning. Hi. Hi.
0: Hi. (laughs) It's so good to see you. Oh, thanks. It's been a while. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now I get to say, this is episode 183, and this is an Ask Allison episode. What that means is that I have this form that you can click on, and you can leave a question, anonymous or not. It is always available to you, and I am going to answer all the questions that are on it right now. Mm. And I'm going to try to keep my answers three to four minutes. I already decided. How
1: many do you plan on answering? I don't
0: know. There's five or six or something. Mm, Okay. I just don't want to go too long. So I'm calling this 183 Ask Allison Jealousy, Being a Human, and Picking the Thing. Oh, my. Uh, That was the the title. (laughs) Is that the
1: tiger's line? Yeah, it was
0: something along those lines.
1: I got it. I'm not the smartest guy out there. (laughs) At least a few other people will get it.
0: I think it's gonna be great. This episode is brought to you by me, Allison, and I wanted to let you know I have my power hours available right now. That is when I have some time in my calendar. I open up some different hours of time and you can book one with me. And I love them.
1: You have so much fun.
0: I am giddy right now because I just got done doing it. Yeah, one. you
1: get you get done and you're just like flittering around.
0: Because I love talking to people and...
1: You, lo- you love ideas.
0: I do. I love ideas. And my mom was talking to me about it. She's, yeah, you love talking to people, but you love talking to people about things that really matter and that are deep and impactful. And I'm like, yeah.
1: Moving the needle.
0: I like to move that needle. So there's going to be a link in the show notes. Check it out. I've just got a few spots left, I think, in January, and then I'll be wrapped up for a while. Let's get into the episode.
1: What do people want to know from you? What could they possibly think you have to offer? What could they? (laughs) (laughs) You obviously don't have opinions on anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any advice. I'll tell you, Eric. Thank you for asking. This is from Sarah, and I love this so much. She says, with the new year upon us, I have historically always fretted over setting goals and resolutions. I found that as I become more me and forgiving and loving of myself, I have no desire to set goals or resolutions this year. Do you grapple with this? Thoughts? Ha! Sarah, I love this. Sir,
1: little did you know, she's got more than one.
0: (laughs) More than one, what?
1: Thought on this.
0: (laughs) For a while, I wanted to change the name of my book to Goals Are Overrated, if that begins to answer the question. Now, here's the thing about goals. And actually, the power hour I just did, we talked about this how she was saying, usually I'm like a vision board beast, I'm manifesting. She's like, in 2023, I just didn't want to do that. And I was like, oh my gosh, in my 2023, I didn't really have that either. However, by the end of the year, and I I don't regret anything, I loved this more like free floating, but by the end of the year, I was like, okay, so I might not necessarily want a goal, but I do love a focus or an intention. And for me, what that looks like right now is I don't necessarily have the thing. I'm not exactly sure what the thing is right this moment. However, I do know some of the skills that I want to work on. And so this shift to I'm working on certain skills, which is really putting myself in this area of learning and being a beginner and just getting information rather than I am working on this and I am failing when I don't meet these goals. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I this year's been transformative for me with goals as well. I was thinking back, rarely do my goals come to fruition with what I set. Hmm. But so many cool things happen when I'm working hard. It's And, and how I want to work hard. It's not just working hard to work mm-hmm. hard. It's like how I'm working hard. Like I had a couple of words this year, which was like connection, power, gratitude, certain things that I wanted to implement into myself as I did things. And so to me, it's, yes, you can, it's great to want stuff. It's great to want to achieve stuff. Most people that I talk about, when they reach that, unless they feel good and experience joy now. In the th- process. In the I process think. of it. They're not, the goal is, okay, well, I became a rich, famous musician. I still feel hollow. I mm. thought this was going to do it. And so feeling fulfilled now is more important than the goals to me. Becoming whole and working towards that, like being okay with myself, And being honest with myself and using these things to reach those goals is great. Like I said, I don't ever really reach those goals. Some I have, but to me, God does much bigger things for me, things that I wouldn't have seen. And so I think goals can be helpful to some people, but also just who who do you want to become so when you reach these cool things, you can actually enjoy it then and enjoy it now on the way.
0: I love that. For me in 2023, the one thing that I did concretely focus on was one word. And I've done that over the last three or four years. And I start the year by doing an embroidery and art project. What does this word embody for me? And my word for 2023 was magic. And so the way that I interacted with that word was by understanding... Buying a cauldron. I did buy a cauldron. (laughs) that was part of it but for me that looked like focusing on a lot of art a lot of creation a lot of allowing and having faith that good things can happen unexpectedly and so hopefully those are some ideas I'm absolutely with you Sarah Um, I do think goals are overrated I like intentions I like skill sets and I love that question Eric of who do I want to be And I know that one day I would like to illustrate, paint either a tarot deck or an oracle deck. Um, And so I want to work on my art skills. And maybe I'll do that deck, but it's not necessarily a goal. It's just something that I think would be cool. But the skill set required, I think, is also the part that interests me the most.
1: Yeah, that's cool.
0: Awesome. What a great question. Thank you, Sarah. I love this question. She says, Hi, I'm an indie fantasy author and your podcast episodes have helped me as I balance creativity and business side of selling books. I love that. My question, author to author, that's right, Eric, I'm an author, is how can I deal with downer days when it seems like no one is noticing or fangirling over my books? I've done a lot of events to get myself out there, and I really believe in befriending authors instead of seeing them as competition or threats to my success. I still feel jealous of others who seem to be selling more than me. I keep thinking I'm not doing something right, either as an author or the marketer. I know my purpose is to write and not sell X amount of books. How can I better return to the creativity and write what I'm meant to write? Any experience or encouragement would help. Mm. How funny
1: it just is. It's my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> First thought: there will always be someone selling more than you.
0: Oh, so always. So true. Always. So
1: true. Unless you're J.K. Rowling.
0: Even then, everybody hates her. I'm just saying, there's
1: always going to be someone who's selling more. I've gone through that where you feel like, I'm doing something wrong because no one's buying my stuff. But let me tell you this, and then I want to hear your answer. When I'm in a creative funk, and I think that people don't care, and this happens quite often, I always remember that my best stuff that gets me more work and is most fulfilling to me is the stuff that I'm obsessed with. So... Make the craft that you're obsessed with, you are already obsessed with if you're already an author and you're still here doing it. So you, you, there is something there that like gets you excited is magical, whimsical, follow that, make your, make it yours, be stoked on it and then let the outcome be the outcome. That's not your thing. Your job is to create it and then learn. And when I try to like what is, what are people going to like that is pure misery trying to create something that you think someone else will like that you're it's already gone if if that's how you start your project so that's my life experience do stuff you are obsessed with and that's the stuff that people catch on to
0: i think that's exactly wonderful beautiful for me i that's my thing i say when i put something up and i don't feel like it gets traction or my book or whatever it is i go nobody cares Nobody cares about me. That's what I always say. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody's interested in me. And it does feel that way. And it feels crappy. And you're like, I spent a lot of time on this. And I know it's good. And that person has crap over there. And why is everybody into that crap? I must be doing something incorrect. I have to check my intentions and check, okay, so why do I want more people to buy my book? I want more people to buy my book because I want to get another book deal. I want more people to buy my book because I think that I should be a best-selling author. (laughs) I want more people to buy my book. Oh, wait. Actually, when I talked to somebody yesterday in a power hour and she told me that she took my book with me to the hospital when she checked in to take care of herself, that's actually why I want to sell more of my book. I do want all of the glory. I do want all of the accolades. However, they're not my driving factor anymore. And I have to remind myself that. I think it sounds like we're in a similar boat where you know you're writing what you want to write and you know you're creating these good things, but coming back to, oh yeah, I I do want to sell a lot, a lot of books because it would validate me, I believe, in different ways. However, I really freaking believe in this message, and I want somebody who's in the lowest of low spots to be able to take my book with them and feel like it is this gentle, loving guidance. That's for my book. Fantasy, oh my gosh, you want people to explore new worlds and get out of their problems and into expansion. What a beautiful offering. That is why we storytell. That is why we develop characters, so that we can learn about ourselves and learn about the people around us. And I was able to attend a conference. Elizabeth Gilbert, who is an insanely successful author, has written lots of different types of books. And somebody like you and me got up and said, I'm an author, and I have such a hard time selling my books. And I loved Elizabeth Gilbert's answer because it's what i would do naturally but sometimes discount the importance of is the marketing of the thing is part of the creation. And so what i mean by that is don't you don't need to sacrifice your process and you don't need to sacrifice and prostrate yourself. However, after you have a good day writing, just get on your Instagram, get on a newsletter, get, hop up somewhere and be like, oh my gosh, I had so much fun writing today. I cannot wait for people to read this. And like my power hours, I don't really promote them any big way other than when I do them. I hold myself accountable when I'm just like on cloud nine buzzing and smiling after a good conversation. Just hop in stories really quick, Allison. Maybe only a few people are going to see it, but show people how much joy and light you feel after talking and maybe somebody who needs that will see it. And so that allowing the joy of the process of creation And what is fueling you to spill over and allow yourself to use that as the marketing and cooking the marketing into it is part of the project. And I just, Elizabeth said that in a certain way. That's how I interpreted it. And I've really loved that because I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. That's Mm. the only way I can get myself to continue to talk about things.
1: Very cool. You taught me. I love that. I
0: love learning from you. Okay. I've got two questions that are similar, and I love this. So let's lump these together. She says, how do you prioritize, this is from Maddie, how do you prioritize yourself in motherhood? I'm having my first baby sometime in the next few you- weeks and don't want to lose myself Or let go of things that matter to me. A similar question we have is, what advice do you give to a mom having trouble putting herself first? I have an eight-year-old and almost two-year-old, and I started a new job in August that I love, but it's also time-consuming. I would love to work for myself someday, but I feel so spread thin there's barely time for me. So similar questions of how do we prioritize ourselves as a caregiver, how do we prioritize ourselves? Somebody that I'm working with right now, her name is Hannah. Her Instagram is Freckled Han. And she is a coach. I really love her language. And her language is she helps you separate the job of caregiving from the relationship of motherhood. I'm gonna say that one more time. Caregiving, so having your first baby, having an eight-year-old and a two-year-old those children caregiving is a job that you are participating in the motherhood or the fatherhood or the parenthood is a relationship.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: And I really like that language and that idea because when you focus on the relationship with your child, that is very different than parenting your child. And so... Prioritizing yourself might look like prioritizing the relationship with your child and not getting so harsh and bogged down in the job of caregiving. We can so often, and we do this with our spouses and partners as well, is we can get bogged down in the job of being a partner, of being a planner, somebody you bounce schedules off of that you forget that there's a relationship that needs tending to. Mm. And so in that same vein, to answer the question of how do you prioritize yourself is, okay, so you need to have a good relationship with yourself so that you can have good relationships, period. Mm. And so I notice when I don't have a great relationship with myself, I don't show up in relationships in a way that I like as much. How could you? And it's even, okay, when I'm not really aware of where I'm at mentally, emotionally, internally, because I'm just going buffering with lots of different interaction, I might be having a conversation with someone, they're sharing something really intimate and personal with me, and I've got whatever looping in my head, the way that I'm going to show up to that conversation is a lot different than Mm. if I've prioritized a good relationship with myself. Yeah. The way that I'm going to show up to Fiona bugging the crap out of me or Ginger asking me for the same thing 30 times in a row at the most inconvenient times is going to be very different when I prioritize having that good relationship with myself.
1: That makes sense.
0: And so I think to answer both of those questions, my advice to a new mom, a brand new mom would be, you are still you. You're going to have this baby and you're going to develop a new relationship. So you get a new love of your life. And that is so cool.
1: That's so cool.
0: It's so cool. Like you get to have this new love of your life and it's a relationship. And just like you dated a partner or you spent time developing a relationship with other people, it's going to develop day by day over time. And you're going to learn how to do it day by day. And then the way to prioritize yourself especially if you've got kids they're eight they're two you've got a new job and not feeling guilty for prioritizing yourself is remembering one think of your eight-year-old think of your two-year-old would you ask them to never think of themselves to prioritize your relationship with their mom do you want them to grow into adults who don't do what they want to do and are just trying to please you maybe for a minute, but not like actually truly, right? Right. So you are setting the tone, you are setting the boundaries, you are modeling. I check in with myself, I take time for myself. And that might even look like just being open with your kids. So every year, Eric makes a song for me for my birthday with the kids. And this year, and and they all sing like a different verse, and it's amazing, I love it. And this year, Fiona, one of her verses for my birthday was... Even when I want to hang out with her and she's working.
1: She'll always make time after. She'll
0: make time after. And when she like had that line, I was like, I've like never worked less in my life as her mom, right? However, I was like, I love that she sees me working and knows that even if I'm working, I'll make time for her. And she turns eight this week. So she gets it. She sees it. She sees that I'm prioritizing doing work for myself or work for somebody else when I have calls, right? But also she knows that I'm gonna make time for her still. And hopefully that can just be some incentive. You're modeling that for your kids. You can preach at them and teach them all day long. It's never gonna impact them as much as what you model. Mm. You read parenting stuff all the time. Do you have any insight on these things?
1: My insight is your actions are exactly what they will follow. The words are useless. That's pretty true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Clean your room, but my room's a mess. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Make your bed.
0: (laughs) My bed's never made. Yeah. So I hope that helps you beautiful babes. I love this one. I want to do all the things. How do I pick one to start with?
1: Do all the things. (laughs) Don't pick one. Do all. (laughs) Especially if you're in your 20s. Do everything.
0: Do them all at the same time. At the same time.
1: I don't know. That's such a hard question. You need to go deeper and get to know this person more.
0: Because I just did a call where we discussed something similar, I'm going to assume a bit of context and it might be incorrect. I think often when we want to do all of the things, what we actually mean is is I want to take an action and have it give me the result, which is the end result of the big thing I want to accomplish. For example, I want to be a keynote speaker speaking to 10,000 people. I, that means I want to have a job or host an event, and I want hundreds and hundreds of people to show up because that seems like a logical next step to do that thing that I want to do. When, If I actually take that step and nobody shows up, it makes me feel crazy. I'm delusional. I'm an imposter. That's why we don't do it. (laughs) Because objectively, all you're doing is, okay, you want to be a speaker, get on Instagram, get on TikTok, speak to camera. Mm -hmm. Objectively, all you're doing is talking to camera. But what it means to you is if nobody watches this and nobody responds to it, My dream of being a speaker or doing this thing that I feel called to do isn't valid. Mm -hmm. So then we go into, there's 10 different ways I could get this going and get started. And I've got to pick the right way to get started. Otherwise, I won't get the end result that I want, which is the analysis paralysis, Mm -hmm. which we then go, I have so many different things I want to do. I can't choose one. Yes, But also in reality, we're not choosing one because when you choose one, there's this perceived loss of all the other things you could be doing.
1: Yeah, I have a thought on this. Give it to me. If I was talking to this person, I would ask them what their interests are. And let's assume that it's not analysis paralysis. Let's let's say this person really likes so many different things. True story. I would say if they're ready to go into the career, and first off, your dad gave me some good advice. He said, you should be in your career by 33. Do a lot of other stuff before that. Try it out. I love that advice. That that actually took a huge weight off my shoulder when we were first married. So you have all these other things. One thing to be aware of is whatever your passion is, if you make that a career, it will become a transactional thing and it will take some of the magic out of it. And then all the other things that you're interested in can become hobbies, which will support a fulfilling life. So be aware of that. Whatever you choose will lose some sort of magic and also be able to grow if you're doing it every day. It just becomes more real. And I wish I had better language just to no, express that. It. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It'll lose some of the whimsy of that thing. But I have so many things I want to do. And I have so many hobbies. And those things enrich my life. So you can do a lot of stuff.
0: Absolutely. But the one
1: you choose for your career or the two things that you choose for your career will be different than those other things that support your joy.
0: And I like that. I love what you said because it also, I think, gives... A different perspective to this question where it's like when you have a lot of things that you want to do and you can't choose one, ask yourself what is it you're trying to do with the thing? Meaning, what need are you fulfilling? Mm-hmm. What um, longing? This
1: is very philosophical. This is a 30 minute answer, potentially. Like, yeah. If, no, it's, what you're saying is absolutely right. Yeah, and where and it's this like, diving into it. I want to do
0: all these things. The underlying, that might be a symptom, right? But mm-hmm. the cause might be I just want to feel more creatively fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so maybe even looking at it that way, which is, oh, I want to do 10 different things. The commonality there, the underlying denominator is creatively fulfilled. Yeah. So then you just pick one creative project and you go, I'm going to allow this one project to do that. And then I'll switch it up if I get bored. Yeah. Love that. Okay. In that same vein, this is another great question. How do you find discipline with your creativity? Is there such a thing? I'm unruly. I love that question.
1: Oh my gosh. It's have good question. I've got, I've got, yeah, it is. It's such a good question. And the reason why it's a good question is because there's no answer. That I've gone through so many phases of what schedule should I do? Should I do my admin stuff first or create first or get up early and create or read first? There's so many. I don't And I, I don't even know that I'm in the right spot. It's phases of life. Yeah. It's what you're interested in. It's what you, what's possible. But that is such a good question. I would love to know what you think.
0: I love Stephen King's book on writing. I also have read a lot of really great books on creativity and art. The Artist's Way Mm -hmm. by Julia Cameron is phenomenal. And what we just discussed, the book The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Yes. And I think with art and creativity... There's a lot of romanticism around the muses move me and I'm inspired and I work when the muses come. Sure. And then Eric and I, who have been employed in creative fields for decades now, can tell you that just because you have creative on your job title doesn't mean that you show up every day to do the work and you're like, I'm a creative genius. Yeah. And so I do believe... And I say this and feel okay saying it because I very much fall victim to the camp of I'll work when the inspiration strikes. My muses guide me. I have to be in the right mood. And it's true to an extent. However, there is the discipline and creativity is that you show up. Mm -hmm. And the new added insight to that for me from Rick Rubin is you show up, you let it go. You show up, you let it go. Mm -hmm. You show up, you put it out make the work, put it out, make the work, put it out. And as a creative artist or somebody who wants to live a creative life, that is going to look like making cookies. They're not perfect. Give them to your neighbor, making a dinner. It's not perfect. Still invite people over for dinner, make a piece of art. It's not perfect. Show it to your, your spouse, post it online. Yes or no. And then you just move on. Mm -hmm. So you're allowing yourself. I, I have this beautiful woman in my neighborhood. She's in her 60s. And she told me she does watercolor. And I was like, I love watercolor. And she brought me this little packet. She had made beautiful colored prints of five or six of her different watercolor paintings. And she gives them to all of her kids and grandkids over the holidays. And then they have art that they can frame if they want. Mm -hmm. And so I even loved that where it's like, she's not posting on social media. She's not looking for the validation there, but she has this beautiful creative talent. She doesn't consider herself a professional painter, but she gifts her art to the people that she loves.
1: Yeah, with ones in our room, it's awesome. Yeah,
0: the octopus we have hanging over our bed. And so- I think the discipline is you keep creating. You show
1: up. Yeah, it's a discipline. It's not, motivation is pointless. Yes, you, Motivation lasts 30 seconds. It's discipline. Discipline is what all artists will tell you how they get successful. Absolutely. I, one more thing that I want to say. I, when I learned about other creatives, like the greats, musicians, composers, playwrights, authors, and I learned how much they actually work a day, this blew my mind. Most of them only work about four hours a day. The yeah. rest is filling their well. And so I've actually, I don't, I go two to three hard. And then, and that is my best work. It really is.
0: Well, and especially because you are doing that work all day, every day. Like and this is your mm-hmm. full time job. I think if you just wanted to build more creativity in your life, mm-hmm. let, like creating one thing every day.
1: Yeah. But don't expect you, don't. But, but
0: like one thing that maybe even takes five minutes is enough to it, your it's point. Enough. It's enough. Yeah. That
1: is my point. But me taking off the expectation that I need to put a eight hour, nine hour yeah. day of this is so stupid in the creative realm. Creative. Okay? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because
1: we don't have that much. Like we need to be filling our well with relaxation, with exercise, with inspiration it to come nice. back and give that three to four hours of just like your heart into it. <laughs> Absolutely. And my output, I can. Easily say it's doubled. My output, my quality output has doubled when I cut my expectation and work hours in half. Knowing that I'm gonna dedicate like crazy for these night, for this morning or this afternoon, it's been really cool. Like that, I wish I would've done that earlier. I'm glad I learned it now. But- I love
0: that. Okay, this one you're gonna love. I feel like we've answered a little bit of this with what we've talked about. So I'm gonna read the question. And I know you're going to love to give your insight on this. How do I grapple with wanting to live and feeling like I need to be more responsible? I'm 26 with two babies, nowhere near being able to afford a down payment, but possibly able to buy tickets to Japan in the next year. I want to do it so bad, but feel stupid for maybe making 32-year-old me angry for not buying a house. Is owning a home everything in this life? Sad. (laughs) I love that question.
1: Mm, My first response is you have no idea what the future holds go to japan yeah go well, to japan yeah. i'm not even saying go to japan I i'm am. Ju- i'm just saying thinking about your 32-year-old self that maybe that could be a healthy practice but you have no idea what this future what your future holds like i couldn't even imagine where i am today based off my teenage self or my 25 year old. Like it's just so wild and different. And I think it's a form of pride to think that we know, like we put these limits on ourselves. We have no idea what connections we're going to make. We have no idea what opportunity is going to come along. And I would trust your intuition. I think that God gave us this intuition and this curiosity and passion for life. And yes, a house is amazing. If stability is what you're, crave, then go for the house. But if you're craving to explore and have experiences that will last you the rest of your life, and just being open to what the universe or God has in store for you, I think you follow that. There's no one path, right? I think everyone has their own path. So don't put limits on the future. In fact, there's a really cool idea. I was talking to a guy on my podcast, and he said, we have stopped dreaming with God. He says, We look at our current situation and we look behind at our past and that, and we project what the future can look like with that. And it's a total lie and it's a total, it's just a subversive thing that keeps us shackled. And dreaming big with your higher power, to me, it's God, is just like, is so freeing and makes me probably a little careless in a way now. Sometimes I think with decision-making in a great way because I'm just opening myself up to so many things.
0: And I think this is maybe one of my superpowers slash can be difficult for yeah. me yes. is I always think that this big thing is right around the corner. A- and I really do. Yeah, you always have. <laughs> and I always have. to Now, the the hard thing about that is sometimes I miss it when it's happening mm-hmm. and can't acknowledge that it's actually happening and this is it. But ah, it's just fun. You don't know. I say go to Japan and have a great time. Japan's the best.
1: Japan's amazing. Oh,
0: my gosh. It was so fun. Okay. So that's our two cents. I love this favorite Christmas gift you've given. I love that gift you've given. Mm an answer. I'll let you think. When we were first married, I had my GoGo screen printer and I made little prints that said, have I done any good in the world today? Which is a, a song, a hymn that I love. And I look at it now and the type is, and the lettering is cringy to me. However, I am so surprised at the number of people who still have that print framed and hanging in their house. And it goes back to that idea of the discipline of art. It's I just was excited and bold to give people something that I had made. And the gifts that I have made that people continue to use. So I made my brother an advent calendar like a decade ago. A really beautiful, elaborate felt advent calendar. And they use it every year. I love making them elaborate gifts because they use them. So my favorite gifts I give are always handmade, and they're given to people who appreciate handmade gifts. And that is something that has taken me a long time to learn. Not everybody really appreciates handmade gifts, and that is nothing bad on me. I just need to realize when I am making that person something that my expectations need to be calibrated a bit. (laughs) Mm,
1: That's true. Okay, I'm a little embarrassed about what I'm going to say, because I don't really remember what I've given like presents to people. Mm -hmm. But i my favorite gifts that I've ever given for Christmas are been the have been the times when there's like a needy family in the neighborhood mm. and it started with my parents like we would get cash and doorbell ditch and those yeah. memories like stuck and I've done it we've still continued these things remember the
0: year that I had all those games because yes. I had worked with Hasbro yes, exactly. and we went around and doorbell ditched like fifteen games on people's doorsteps yeah. that was so fun like
1: those are the only times I remember it's like doorbell yeah. ditching envelopes of cash to people. That's by far my favorite. I don't want to tip my own horn. like I'm some great person, but that's the ones I remember. You are a great a person. Okay.
0: I love that. That's so cool. Don't be embarrassed. This is beautiful. What is the first step you took to start the healing process? I've listened to your podcast for years as well as come to your book release, book club. So I followed your healing journey and want to start my own, but the first step is always the hardest. Kendall. Kendall, you're the best. You already started it, Kendall. You're, you already did it. You've been reading books. You've been showing up. You're asking questions. You're putting yourself out there. I wonder, because you're already doing it and you're asking the question, I then wonder, what about what you're doing doesn't feel like you've started? What do you think the healing process should or shouldn't look like? And... Do you think that there's like an aspect of it that you feel like you have to do, but you're avoiding? And maybe that's what your question is. Because if I was going to say, oh, the way you start your healing process is by going to therapy and you're like, I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to talk about this crap that is in my past or that is under the surface. That's just one way to do it. So if you feel a resistance to opening yourself up that way, rather than telling you, you do it, let's do it. It's just, oh, let's just notice what the resistance is to. That would be my, that would be like, my first step would be like, okay, you're already doing it. You just actually told me how you're doing it. Because if you read my book,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that's, that's part of a healing journey right there. Because Um, And if you're showing up, you're asking questions, you're open to information. I would say that's also part of the healing journey.
1: Yeah, there's so much good information out there on healing and tips and tricks and hacks and all that stuff. To me, and this is new to me and it's been the last year, is I guess this is like both emotional and physical. Like if you go to the doctor and you have a broken leg, you can't just say, I'm I'm in a lot of pain. I just need a pain pill. And -hmm. you think you know what it is. So to me, it's been getting humble and honest with what, where I'm really at. You have to go. Yeah, I have to be honest. There's some uncomfortable things that I'm not proud of. And this is, this was done to me. And those types, I don't know if you can start anywhere else, because if you're not being honest about what you need to heal from. No.
0: And you know what? I lied. I actually do have a first step because this is when it really got real for me. And it's in that same vein is knowing that no matter what, I have non-negotiable worth and value and that I am good and I'm okay and I'm fine. So for me, that looked and felt like I'm good with God. God's not mad at me. I'm not inherently incorrect or wrong. And until I truly, without a doubt, could tap into that, the hard, uncomfortable, ugly aspects that needed to be examined could not be examined because I did not feel safe examining them. So until you feel safe getting ugly, until you feel safe pulling back and seeing the shadow, you can't know where you're actually at. And That is why I am passionate about my book, which by the way, on Amazon right now is only $15. It's like at its lowest price, I think because they're trying to sell them. But (laughs) But that knowing your inherent worth, that is the point of my book is locking that in. And so to me, that was the first step because then I was able to acknowledge and see the ugly things or the things that were harder to work with. And that's really what helps heal. All right. Those are all of our Ask Allison questions for today. You guys, I absolutely loved this. Eric, I loved you dropping your insight.
1: I'm here to serve. You
0: you, you took my line. (laughs) We are so grateful for these questions. We're grateful to be able to have a conversation with you guys via the podcast. We'd be even more grateful if we had some reviews. (laughs)
1: Like, subscribe, click, share, whatever. No, (laughs) No,
0: I'm still grateful. But we haven't had any new reviews for a while. So if you think you leaving a review doesn't matter, it's been about three or four weeks of me saying, we don't have any new reviews. It can be
1: your new favorite Christmas gift you've given.
0: Is leaving us a review. Yeah. Hey, you guys are doing a really good job. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being you. You're beautiful. You're perfect. You're glorious. Only you can be you, and you are already as awesome as you need to be. Eric, you know what I was thinking about today? I was thinking about, did you do some Christmas music with Kat?
1: Yes, I do. It's called In the Bleak Midwinter.
0: Oh, I love that. That's what I was thinking Okay, of. yeah.
1: Here it is. Here it is, and I'll link to it.
0: Thanks.